0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is Drew from Minnesota. I work for a small airline called Sun Country, and our company has filed to go public. What I'm confused about is the dilution per share in prospectus.
0: And provides unbiased answers.
2: But too often, or more often than not, continued share issuance for executives is simply that.
0: Invest Talk. Over 30 million downloads and counting.
2: Hey
1: guys, this is
2: JD from Texas. I had a question
1: about NBR and should I cash out now for the, you know, $1,000 I've got left in it?
0: Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART.
3: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
2: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our March 25th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. Appreciate you all tuning in this hour, and I'm going to do my best to execute on my goal each and every weekday, which is to help you become a better investor, a more educated investor, a more disciplined investor, and the way that I will do that is by operating with the mission statement of independent thinking and shared success. So that means I'm going to present everything today without bias when I'm answering questions about a stock, about the market, uh, about uh, different asset classes, about different processes that go into the investment world. I am going to do that with just the facts that are brought to me in front of me with the, uh, the data that I have, as well as my 20-plus years of market experience. Now, I'm Justin Klein. and Of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. And when that happens, you get to shape the show to your liking. And now, you can call and interact with us right now during our live stream program, 4 to five Pacific Time. Or you can leave a question after hours if you're listening later on the podcast and leave a message on our Talk Voice Bank. Either way, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first caller question now.
1: Hi, this is Dave from New Hampshire. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell me what you think about an ETF called PICK, P-I-C-K, and if you think uh, now might be a good time to pick some up. Thanks for your uh, time and thanks for having you do. Bye.
2: All right, looking at P-I-C-K. This is the iShares MSCI Global Metal and Mining Producers ETF. So the top holding is BHP, Rio Tinto is number two, Vale. BHP, a a different version of it, is number four, so that's about 14% of the overall portfolio. Anglo-American, Freeport, Mac Moran, Glencore. So... This is, these are the big miners of the world, not just gold miners. Talking about mining for all types of raw materials, metals, uh, types of inputs that go into steel, coal, things like that. So broadly diversified, which I like within that space. And I'm going to give this a thumbs up. It has pulled back recently but it is pulling back into some support and i like a lot of the names in this uh, in this ETF so i'm going to give it a thumbs up if you don't want to go through the process of doing deeper research on the individual names finding the best ones within it then this is a nice blanket pick no put intended in p i c k now what i would do if you were so inclined is to look at the holdings, like I just read off and there's uh, 50 plus different holdings, and I would do deeper research on those and the different subsectors within the metal and mining space, and that's what I would be looking at, but if you don't want to do that work, this is a solid ETF to get exposure to. Now, why am I doing this podcast? Well, I know that you need help, you need strategies, you need perspective, you need discipline and data, and that's what I'm here to help provide, and that's why I'm ready to take your calls right now or anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART, at so give me a call. Let's look at the market today. The S&P was up 20 points, well off its lows. We started the morning down decently and really rallied throughout the day off of some pretty good support levels. So it's not shocking in that sense. But you continue to see that rotation. The Qs were down a bit. The NASDAQ composite as a whole was up 15 points, about 0.1%. So very, very kind of flat to modestly down day on the the tech side of the ledger. In fact, growth the growth side, if you're looking at the Morningstar style box, large cap growth and and mid cap growth were the two areas of the market that were down today everything else was up small caps were up even small cap growth not as much as small cap value up 2.7% large cap value up 1.07% so you continue to see that rotation out of tech and into value and this is going to be a long term trend there's going to be months maybe even years where that changes, but you've seen the handoff to fiscal and Biden had a conference today, a press conference, his first official one. It seemed like it took a little while, right? It's been two months since he's took office about, and this is his first official press conference, but he spoke a bit about infrastructure and what that ultimately comes down to, how much, what is it focused on, etc. is yet to be determined, and... Won't be determined by President Biden. A lot of people put too much weight on a president, It's one man who does not make or woman potentially at some point. But he doesn't. He or she does not make the laws. Congress makes the laws. So while Biden can propose something, and the Democrats in the Senate and uh, in, in Congress in general is going to, they're going to go along. But they're not they're going to disagree to some extent as well. Joe Manchin, who is now probably the most powerful one in in Washington, kind of the swing vote in the Democratic Party. And he's the most conservative member. And his view of what infrastructure should be spending and how to pay for it is more important than than most others. And so just shows you a good example of why one man isn't going to swing the infrastructure package one way or the other, but will have influence. And a lot of people will have influence, not just uh, President Biden. So that'll be interesting as well. But we know, based on policy, governments are going to spend, it's just a matter of how much and what areas. So... This was another day of a continued rotation with a bit higher rates and better value performance. You're listening to Stock. I'm Justin Klein. I invite you to join me for Finance Podcast Week. It's coming up starting tomorrow through the 28th. You can hear a variety of live stream panels and exclusive episodes. On Saturday, this Saturday, March 27th, I will lead a special panel discussing the pros and cons of indexing versus value investing. That's this Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern 10 a.m. Pacific keep listening to today's podcast for more details registration information and the free passcode this is the best talk Uh, we're taking your calls live 888-99-SHARK
0: Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire
2: Hour. Now, our focus point today concerns the story. After a healthy January, restaurant sales have slowed now, the shortfall in restaurants and food service sales totaled about 270 billion over the last 12 months during the pandemic. From what the, the industry was expecting as a whole, it's a pretty big shortfall. To put that in context: eating and drinking places registered total sales of 54 billion on a seasonally adjusted basis in the month of February. Now, that was down about 2.5% from January's $55.6 billion. Still, taking together the first two months of this year, compared to the last two months of last year, is up 5.1%. So, certainly a nice bump up, but we're still about 17% below the pre-pandemic levels in February of 2020. And this is a bit worrisome, especially when you take it on the back of the Johnson Redbook numbers, which come out weekly, and sales, consumers are spending was down 17% year over year. That's pretty rough. Pretty rough. Certainly that's from pre-pandemic levels, but that Hasn't been that bad since March, April, May of last year. And that's giving more indication that, hey, maybe the consumer is slowing. Maybe that stimulus is not going to be spent or isn't being spent. Remember, there was a stimulus package at the end of last year. I think it was $600 per household that's been spent. And the big question is, will governments continue to stimulate? How much will the $1,600 go? How long will it last to keep the economy moving? And how many jobs can we create over the next six, nine months to order to fill that gap that we've seen and that we've experienced over the last 12 months? Now, some economic data came out today and the Continuing claims for unemployment insurance dropped more than expected, which was good. But still, we're at 3.87 million. Pre-pandemic, we were at about 1.6 million. Still about 2 million more job, more, more jobless claims than pre-pandemic. That's not nothing. And initial claims for unemployment did drop to 684,000, which is the lowest level since pre-pandemic. So that's nice. So we're 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 healing, but still elevated. And are we healing fast enough? And what was what is that going to level out at? Will be very very important. Now the Kansas City Manufacturing Production Index that came up at 23 that remains relatively strong. So that's really where the strength in the economy is. It's that manufacturing remains robust with the weaker dollar and inventory levels relatively low. So that's going to be a big boost to the economy over the next six to nine months is restocking. We've heard about how difficult it is to get certain goods. And business is business. They're going to try to catch up. So along with stimulus, that's going to help kind of the raw numbers when it comes to business activity, but consumer spending, which is roughly two-thirds of the economy, still is starting to look a little bit weary. So keep an eye on that. Now we have a bit of a backlog of voice bank questions, so we're happy that you are calling, but I don't want to make don't let, let them become stale. So today we're developing more time to these calls. This came in earlier at 888
1: 99 Hi, my name is Jay. I wanted to get your thoughts on Qualcomm. I've had some shares that have obviously dropped significantly, and I've been trying to average down into them. And I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are on Qualcomm for the future. Thank you.
2: We actually talked about this internally, and 100 is $100 a share is our target for picking up Qualcomm. We're at 127 now. It isn't a downtrend. I like Qualcomm longer term, but its momentum has certainly waned and looks to be repricing lower. And I would have it on the watch list, but once again, our target is 100 to pick this up. And that's a, a bit lower than our fair value, which is around 115 or so. Now it's at 127. So I like Qualcomm. Just uh, not quite at our buy point yet. You listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We are now almost through the first quarter. With all the changes we see happening, it's important to remember that during periods of market uncertainty, the task of building your own personal financial freedom must continue. Yours is going to be different than everyone else's. You have your own path, but it does not mean that we can't help guide you and everybody else on their own individual path. So that's why your participation is vital for this show. And we're taking your calls live at 888 99
0: For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line 888-99-chart.
1: Hey guys, this is JD from Texas. I had a question about NBR I got about 20 shares last March, under $15 a share, started selling them one at a time at about 300%, sold another one at 350, another one at 400 and so on. I have about eight shares left, up about 800%. My question is, I was wondering how this is still going up if it's losing, you know, $24 a share and should I cash out now for the, you know, $1,000 I've got left in it? or should I wait and see if it goes up to 5 or 10 because it's all, you know, house money at this point. Can't wait to hear your answer. Thanks.
2: All right, this is an interesting one. This is Neighbors Industry, and, yeah, it looks like they're losing a lot of money on... uh, Yeah, but... So this is a good example of... If you're looking at earnings... They're losing a lot of money. But if you're looking at EBITDA, earnings for interest tax, depreciation, and amortization, they are quite positive. And so there, there's a lot there. They have a lot of debt. That's one of the main issues. So they have pretty high interest expense. I would imagine they're depreciating assets. Uh, they're, they're a driller. Uh, they have offshore drill, they're offshore, um, they're offshore, the largest, excuse me, the world's largest land rig drilling contractors. So they're a contractor for 500 land rigs, 600, more than 600 land work uh, over rigs, and numerous offshore rigs that drill for oil and natural gas. And that's why it's rebounded, because the price of natural gas has rebounded, and oil. And from a cash flow perspective, like I said, there are... Doing fine. So I have to really look at the accounting, why their earnings per share looks so poor. This looks like a, a complicated beast. Uh, what I will say is I like the oil patch. And clearly the market is focusing more on that cash flow than it is the earnings. So I'd hold it because that earnings negative earnings number looks more like an accounting problem. Uh, than an actual cash flow issue because the cash flow is still positive. That's why you gotta look underneath the hood a bit. Now, we're on a roll, let's keep things going. The next Invest Talk caller question came in earlier from Boston. Hey, Steve and
1: Justin, how are you doing? This is Nathan giving a call from Boston, Massachusetts. Love the show. Just had a question for you about IEC electronics. Ticker symbol IEC. Looked like a good company to buy. Um, had some good strong performance, and stock price was on the rise. I bought it back in January, at about fifteen dollars a share. Since then, I guess the the quarterly um, results came out was a little bit lower than expected, and it's dropped down to about twelve dollars a share. Just wondering what you thought if the uh, the long term prospects were good. Appreciate your help. Love the show. Thank you. Bye bye.
2: This is IEC Electronics. They are in the contract. Manufacturing business of printed circuit boards and wire and cable harnesses for electronic OEMs. So kind of a commodity type business, but certainly the demand for physical products has been on the rise. So their margins and their cash flows have benefited from the pandemic overall. And if you look at their cash flow and earnings, it's always been kind of up and down. And so I don't like that. Their profitability metrics have vacillated drastically, and this just tells you that this is a commodity-type business. They're a price taker, not a price maker. They don't have a lot of IP that's giving them an advantage over their competitors, and so they're at the whims of the industry as a whole, and you're starting to see that with the price performance. So... I'm passing on this. I don't like the lack of consistency in their business. You go back to 2014, they lost $1.49. Then they made $1.47 in 2016, and then only a penny in 2017. Then all the way up to $0.70 in 2020, supposed to make $0.89 next year. So the trajectory so far is good, but longer term, their business is too up and down for me to love it. So I'm going to certainly pass on IEC Electronics. I think we can fit one more caller question in before the break. Let's try that now. Hi, this is Nate in Arizona. I am just calling to see what you guys think of ticker JHG.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Janice Henderson, and this is a fund company. They are out of the UK. They provide investment advisory services, distribution administration services to mutual funds. So they're a mutual fund company. And For a long period of time, indexing has been stealing market share from these fund companies. More money flowing into your index funds and out of more actively managed funds. And so their business has been in a somewhat of a decline. But if the market keeps going up, if equities keep going up, the rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. So profitability-wise, they are weaker than in the past, but still, their cash flow is good, their balance sheet is good, they're buying back shares. I like that. So I'm going to give this an overall thumbs up on Janice Henderson. Now, the next invest talk, the story. It can be fun to play this game. If you had invested $1,000 in Bitcoin one year ago, what might that be worth today? Several factors led to a surge in Bitcoin buying in 2020, and a purchase in March 2020 would have increased its net worth substantially. And Steve's gonna to get to that story tomorrow and to give you a little context. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888.99 Chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at hackerone.com. That's H A C K E R O N E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest
0: Talk every Friday on the program and the podcast. Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart.
2: We're going to head up to Seattle and talk with CJ looking at Etsy. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Hey, Justin.
4: Thanks for taking my call here. Sure. Um, I am actually looking to buy it. I have trimmed, uh, you know, a lot of my kind of higher growth, uh, I guess, more speculative positions as we've kind of seen this rotation into more value-driven names. But I'm kind of looking to jump into a couple uh, of those growthier kind of names that might, uh, you know, be outliers in terms of, you know, further downside risk. I, th- I think Etsy's just shown a lot of really incredible growth, both in revenue and earnings. And I think, you know, obviously it's seen similar kind of contraction. I think it's down 20% or so from its highs as the multiple expansion kind of contracts or the, the those multiples tend to, you know, continue to contract. But I think, you know, it's down quite a bit. And if there's one kind of growth your name, I'm looking at this one, it seems like a super healthy company.
2: Well, it's definitely healthier than a lot of the zero earnings zero cash flow names. My issue with Etsy is that this is an online retailer and they're especially focused on handmade vintage vintage items and with everyone staying home, there was a more clearly more shopping online, but also more time to make handmade goods to, to find other sources of income Uh, for people that were maybe laid off. And I think that's going to reverse. And if you look underneath the surface of online sales, that is reversing. And so are you going to go all the way back to only earning, what is it, a dollar? Let's see, pre-pandemic, they're in 76 cents per share. Last year, they made $2.69. This year, expected to make $3 a share. I think you're going to trend back towards that 76 cents per share. Now, that's still... It's still on a solid growth trajectory, so maybe it trend goes back to a dollar $1, $1.25, something like that. But the expectations continue uh, to show that this company will grow, and I don't think that's going to, to happen in the, the short term. I think you're going to have a reversion to the mean here. And it's still pretty overvalued, even if you're looking based on these pandemic-type earnings. Enterprise value to revenue at 14 times that's expensive. Enterprise value to EBITDA, 52 times. Also expensive, uninflated revenue and EBITDA numbers. So no, this is not a name that I would be excited about getting into in the near term. We need to have that reversion to the mean. And to me, my value on this stock is closer to $60, $70 as opposed to $200 and, or you know, $196 at the close today. So I, I understand what you're saying. But I don't like their version I mean. I would rather own companies whose we own one in particular, who's also an online platform, sales platform for, for goods and, and clothing, but are more targeted towards areas where people are going to buy more of, right Think of going out. Say that. What do people buy when they're now planning to go out to events and things that they haven't been doing for the past year? Those are the types of plays that we're looking at. So Etsy, uh, the momentum is now down, and I believe their business prospects are headed lower as well, at least in the short term. Long term, that may be another story. Thanks for the call. Now, as you've likely noticed, we like to get live calls because we can interact with listeners. But, of course, we appreciate the voice bank questions. So this one came in earlier on 888-99-CHART.
1: Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Drew from Minnesota. I work for a small airline called Sun Country, and our company has filed to go public. We have the option to buy shares this upcoming week at an assumed price between $21 and $23. We have very strong growth prospects and are diversified between Passenger operations, charter operations, and flying the 737 for Amazon. Sun Country has actually added aircraft during the pandemic. What I'm confused about is the dilution per share in the prospectus. It states with an assumed price of $22. After dilution per share to new investors, shares will be worth $19.07. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to buy shares of a company like this. Can you please explain the dilution of shares? Should I buy the reserve shares, or should I wait to see how things shake out after the IPO? Thank you and I look forward to hearing your response on the podcast.
2: Okay, let's see. Looks like they already went public. Let's see if I can find this here. Sun Country Airlines, yeah, SNCY. This looks like it recently went IPO. Now, yeah, it went IPO on the 17th of March. Now trading at thirty-one dollars a share, so clearly up from that twenty-one or so. You you spoke about, so it'd be smart to had buy had bought it, and and that's not uh, atypical. There's often that bump uh, when a company goes public and all investors can gain access to it. Now share dilution is just simply that issuing the company issuing more shares, and if there's a million shares outstanding and you own one share. Well, you own one millionth of the company. If they buy back a bunch of shares, you're going to own a bigger portion of the company. If they issue more shares and you still own that one share, now you own a lesser percentage. And that's how dilution works. And that happens often in the IPO process uh, when there is big change of ownership change in uh, the capital structure, et cetera, there's often share issuance. There's often share issuance on a continual basis for stock option incentives for employees like yourself. So how much dilution that created, I have to really look at the deal and the details and dig into it, but dilution's never a great thing. Management might say, well, we're using it for expansion and growth, et cetera. And if they execute well on that expansion of growth, it's financed with share issuance, then it can be accretive to you as a shareholder and to the company as a whole. But too often, or more often than not, continued share issuance for executives is simply that it is a way to pad the executive compensation packages for the top people in the company to the detriment of the shareholder. And that happens a lot as well. So the devil's always in the details and I'd have to really look at the details to give you a full answer, but hopefully you still bought in because it's trading at $31 a share. Now, let's make it three in a row. The next question came from Pennsylvania.
1: Hey, Siever Justin. This is Taylor from Philadelphia. Colin, let's talk to you about NVIDIA, i I've owned it for a while. I really like the underlying business. I like their exposure to chips, especially uh, EV chips. Obviously, it's been hit hard by this recent tech correction. just want to know if you still think the company is a good value. Is this an opportunity to buy more because it has strength for the future or how you'd value this company going forward.
2: Thank you. Look forward to listening to the show on the podcast. Well, it's definitely not a good value. Enterprise value to revenue, 18 and a half. Enterprise value, EBITDA, 54. It's about double or triple what I would like to see from a valuation perspective. You can say they're growing dramatically and that they will grow into that valuation. And that's certainly a possibility. And they have a lot of IP to back up their applications for, like you said, graphics chips, AI, et cetera. But it's also a competitive industry. It's also a very cyclical industry. And the pandemic brought a lot of buying of electronics, computers, gaming systems, etc. And so the boost that the company got in the last fiscal year, going from $5.79 to $10 per share. unlikely to be repeated, even though that's what analysts are expecting for 2023 of $14.85 in earnings. So it's a good business, but technically it is now hovering right at that 200-day moving average, threatening to really break it. Did it actually break it today? Let me take a look. yeah, by about 19 cents. So it broke the 200 200 day moving average today. I think this will continue to have weakness as long as the growth side of the market rotates out of favor. And this is not a name that I would be heavily weighted towards. Still a good company, but I would definitely need better value to get in or to maintain a, uh, A large position in it so if you don't have any tax consequences I would be reducing it dramatically if you do I would talk to your CPA think about the tax consequences of selling some or all uh, and look at that possibility so good company just valuation is just way ahead of the fundamentals now that we're settling to the new year let me stop down or step down for a minute to tell you that I think it's it's worth your time to maybe reach out to myself or Steve Peasley and learn about our company, KPP Financial. And what we do at KPP is we operate with the same philosophy that we do here on InvestTalk, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we implement that by a few things. First, unbiased guidance, both on and off air, as well as practicing parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our offer for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or Jive meetings. Send us a message through investtalk.com or call KPP Financial in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We can just talk about whatever is on your mind, whatever your situation is, give you some options to improve your situation in some way, shape, or form. Maybe that's minor, maybe that's major. Depends on everyone's goals and their current standing no obligation we just love to help you in any way that we possibly can 8899 chart at 899 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show we have roughly about 10 minutes left to get your call in so I'd love to hear from you Now, let's touch on the the market's environment right now. One underrated aspect of the current environment is what the Fed meeting resulted in last week. They didn't do a whole lot. They maintained their QE. And that was not the big story. The big story is what they did a day later which was not extend the supplementary leverage ratio, meaning that now treasuries are a hit to the bank balance sheet, whereas before that was an emergency measure, and that was actually kind of a tightening step. I mean, it know, not look like it, but underneath the surface, I think that is a reason for the recent sell-off, was, hey, the Fed is more apt to withdraw liquidity more clamps on banks than they are to loosen policy. So how that manifests? Well, likely manifests in a little bit tighter liquidity and higher interest rates and a stronger dollar, which you're seeing. Let's go to Orlando and talk with Alex. He wants to talk about the market. Uh,
4: hi, Justin, this is Alex. I have a general question to ask you. Um, like I think last week or so, you're probably familiar with, Cathy Wood uh, came from ARK Investment, came and mm-hmm. gave mm-hmm. Tesla a $3,000 price target by 2025. So mm-hmm. my question is, I know she's not like a beginner or somebody just throwing a number, so can you elaborate on her justification for Tesla being 3000 by 2025, or it just uh, she's totally missing something?
2: Well, she is making very large assumptions. And you can actually go on their website and look at their assumptions. And they are wild <laughs> to, be, to be straightforward. And especially in an environment where Volkswagen is likely to outsell Tesla in the electric market this year. Not in the future. This year. And their entire, I believe, the entire Porsche fleet, I want to say is going electric by 2025. So the true manufacturers that have manufacturing prowess actually have dozens of factories around the world to produce these cars, where Tesla basically has two. Um, It's just, it's not going to happen. The shine is coming off Tesla. Uh, the reason it's at these levels is because of gamma hedging, not anything with fundamentals. Uh, the only reason that they're showing accounting profitability is because they're selling tax credits. Without that, they would con- be continuing to lose money on the actual business of selling cars. So it, Kathy Wood is a sign of the times. She's a crackpot. She... It's great at weaving fantastical stories, and those fastical, fantastical stories are working right now, but the shine is starting to come off. Like I said before, when the stories lose momentum, or when the price loses momentum, like you're seeing now, the stories suddenly get scrutinized. The numbers get scrutinized. Valuations get scrutinized. And that's why you're seeing many of these growth stocks, tech stocks down 30, 40, 50% from the recent highs because they should never have been trading at those levels anyway. It was all hype and fervor. So that's why you're getting that. uh, It's not gonna happen. Get your questions in now at 888-99-SHARK.
0: InvestTalk listeners are invited to join Justin Klein as he participates in Finance Podcast Week, March 26th through the 28th. In fact, Justin will host a special live stream panel on Saturday, March 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Head over to podbean.com slash podcastweek slash finance to register. Use the code InvestTalk for a free pass.
2: head out to Atlanta and talk with Vitali. He's looking at Barrick Gold.
1: Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was wondering if you're still bullish on Barrick Gold because it's, uh, it's been down the last three four months. Um, so just want to get your opinion.
2: Yeah, we are. I, I the, the whole industry has been in a downtrend since last summer as rates have been in going up. But you're starting to see a little life in the space trying to make a, a higher low here. And if it can, I think we are headed for a blast off in the minor space. I'm starting to see sentiment get really, really bleak in the space. But profitability remains very, very robust. Even uh, even though gold's down from 1900 to 1700 and, and change, it's still a very, very profitable business at these levels. And earnings are near an all-time high yields 1.7 percent they've repaired their balance sheet so there's a lot to like about about barrack and in the miners in general and their Barrick is one of the best run out there so uh, we like Barrick, and uh, i'm a big fan picking it up here yeah thanks for the call now you've heard me say that we have Invest talk listeners across America and around the world, so let's prove it now. This call came in from Australia.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. This is Tim Cullen from Sydney, Australia. I did have a question about the formation of a company called Simeon's, ticker symbol is S-I-E-G-Y. Essentially, I just wanted to know, they also have another company called Simeon's Energy. If that does improve the Profits in Siemens Energy, does Siemens benefit from that? If you could elaborate on that, that'd be great. Thank you. Quite
2: Well, you're talking about two different companies. This is Siemens. Siemens Energy, this is a German, or Siemens in general, is a German company. Let me take a look at Siemens Energy. Are they also out of Germany? Siemens Energy looks to be A utility company I'm just reading about this Uh, provides industrial applications power generation transmission wind energy technologies so I'm not sure I'd have to look at are they related entities at all I don't know I I've never heard like I said of Siemens energy and oftentimes there are there's ownership partial ownership so maybe Siemens' parent company owns a portion of Siemens Energy. That happens a lot. I remember back in the day, Chipotle, I don't know if you know this, but Chipotle had an investment f- from McDonald's originally. And McDonald's owned shares in, I believe they sold it a while ago. It was probably a bad, a bad decision. But they owned 10% of it for a long period of time, but they were separate companies, separate publicly traded companies. So I'd have to dig into the footnotes. You have to look at the footnotes of Siemens, the parent company's financials, and see if they own some sort of stake in Siemens Energy. Or it could just be a coincidence. They have the same name. But I don't know off the top of my head. i have to do a little digging, but... That's how these structures work and it's not uncommon. Many, many times that happens. Thanks for the call from Australia, appreciate it. Now to remind you that tomorrow is the start of Podcast Finance Week on Podbean and there's a lot of great panels that are uh, going live and I'll be part of one like I said, Saturday morning. You can find out more on our website, investtalk.com, and you'll find the link to the Eventbrite page where you put in the code InvestTalk in order to register. We have, we get 100 slots, InvestTalk does, so uh, head over there and register so you can listen live. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another InvestTalk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Get your free download anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
3: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.